0: We live in a noisier world than it was when you were a kid, even if you are a kid. (laughs) It's getting noisier and louder. There's more noise, there's more of it. You know, uh, you ever wonder why Donald Trump ran for president, right? There's a... A number of uh, versions of this story, but let me just share one with you that I think is kind of interesting. One version of what motivated his candidacy was that uh, the serene and tranquil ambiance of his Mar-a-Lago resort was constantly being disrupted by air traffic overhead. And he he had been filing lawsuit after lawsuit with the Palm Beach County for over 20 years. He was engaged in a legal battle trying to get them to change the path of the airplanes. And you know that after six days, six days after he was elected, uh, the FAA decided that they would uh, reroute those flights and uh, he dropped all of his lawsuits. <laughs> so, one version of the story of how President Trump came to run for office was that he just wanted some quiet in this very noisy world. The National Park Service has been measuring the acoustics of the American outdoors and they have discovered that every 30 years, noise pollution doubles or triples. That is just the ambient sound gets twice as loud or more every 30 years. Here's some examples of what we've been observing. Back in 1968, uh, sound technicians who would go out into nature and try to record an hour of uninterrupted natural sound. Just one hour. And in 1968, it would take him 15 hours of recording time to get that, to piece together that one hour. Now it takes, guess how much? 2,000 hours to piece together one hour of uninterrupted natural sound. Here's another interesting statistic. I've got loads of these. These are just the two my two favorites. Here's another one. So, measuring how loud our lives are by how loud... Uh, Fire truck sirens have to be right because they've got to be loud enough to to overwhelm the ambient noise and be right noticeable So when they were first coming out back in 1912, they were about 90 decibels when measured from about 10 feet away in 1974 they were hundred and fourteen decibels you think okay that it, Today they are hundred and twenty three decibels from that same distance now I don't really understand like sound tech and stuff so I had to but I know Brian's mentioned enough about this stuff to me that I had to research this briefly every 10 decibels results in it sounds twice as loud to us so from 1912 to 1974 that's a Uh, what is that a 24 decibel jump that means that it would be almost four to five times louder the experience of listening to the fire trucks and then from 1974 to today another 10 that means it's at least twice as loud so if you think fire truck you know if you were alive in the 1970s and you think boy the sirens are a lot louder today they're twice as loud as they were when you were a kid it's crazy just crazy I think there's some other interesting, uh, interesting things when you think about the relationship of noise to our faith. We know this about noise and noisy environments: that noise decreases our willpower, our ability to make intelligent decisions. Noise affects that. Governments and militaries use noise as not only is warfare like when we're trying when we don't siege uh, put people under siege anymore with like uh moats and catapults and stuff we we bombard them with like pop hits from the 70s at i'm not kidding it really loud this is how we when people are holed up like uh in waco texas the koresh people they just bombarded them with like yesterday's hits for weeks until they broke we use, warfare, we use noise for warfare, for torture, because it destabilizes people. It makes them more suggestible. Think about that in relation to our faith. Being more suggestible, having a harder time making good decisions. And we've observed for many years now that we live more and more in what's called an attention economy, which is that there are great, greater and greater rewards for the people who can more effectively invade our minds This is uh, not just something that Christians are bugged by. There is now a response to this. There's actually things called silent retreats. Have you heard of this and silence therapy? You can go and pay really, of course, really good money to go someplace and just have it be quiet, or go to someplace and just just have a quiet hour. I use a lot of like shooting headphones around my house. That's my silence retreat for 20 bucks. It's not too bad. But while silent retreats and silent therapy are probably to some extent beneficial, that's, that's not really what we're after because we leave that and we're back in the noise and we're back in the distress. right? There's that old proverb that says if you have to go to the top of a mountain, a cave in the top of a mountain to find inner peace, it's not inner peace. You've just it, it removed everything from your environment, but you're not actually at peace. right? What, where can we get that? And the only place we can get it, we know, because we're here, It's from the Lord. It's only the Lord who can give us that quiet. So, if we want our lives as Christians to advance and to make progress, what we've been discovering in Isaiah 30.15 is that we need to stop some things. The Christian life makes progress and goes and advances through a series of stops. Return, stop going your own way. Rest, stop trying to save yourself. And now quiet. Isaiah 30:15. If you're not yet there, open up in your Bibles to Isaiah 30. We're going to be in Isaiah 30 and 32 this morning. Can you guys hear me? OK? I can barely see you, and so I'm, I feel like I'm shouting. That was a little bit of a joke about how far away you are. <laughs> Isaiah 30:15: "In returning and rest, you shall be saved." It's an invitation to truth. Your way's not working. You need to return to the truth. It's an invitation to grace. I want you to rest in what I've done, God is saying. And now it is actually an invitation to joy. The invitation to be quiet is an invitation to joy. You know, one way we're gonna one way to think about all that we're talking about this morning is, is to try to answer the question of where does joy come from? This is what Isaiah is actually leading to in chapters 30, 31, and 32, is to answer the question of where does joy come from? So let's look at uh, quiet in Scripture for just a minute. The concept of quiet in Scripture doesn't just mean the uh, uh, silence or no auditory inputs. It's actually sort of a biblical concept that comes from um, the journey that returning and rest in, in quiet takes us on. So we're supposed to, when you would have told an Israelite that God wants us to return to Him, they would have thought also of their spiritual journey back to the Lord, but also of their journey from exile, from, from Egypt, from the world, back to the promised land, the land of living with God in love. When, If you would have told them God wants you to rest in Him, they would have thought on the one hand, yes, of grace and of trusting the Lord, but they would have also thought about the... Uh, the provision and the, the work that God did to bring them back to that good place and to take care of them. And then quiet is the result. Listen to Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 30. And so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest all around. Because God worked for Jehoshaphat, he then enjoyed this quiet. In Isaiah 14, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, and now the whole world is at rest and quiet. So quiet is a consequence of when the Lord works for us. Another verse in the New Testament, just so you kind of understand that this is not just an Old Testament idea, I found this very interesting. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, we urge you brothers and sisters to love one another more and more and to aspire to live quietly. When we live in love together, quiet is going to be the outcome. So quiet in Scripture describes these external conditions when the king reigns and the spirit works. Look in your Bibles at Isaiah 32. We're going to be mostly in Isaiah 32 this morning. Now I want you to just notice how Isaiah 32 begins. Isaiah 32, verse 1. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. A king will reign in righteousness. And then look over to verse 15, where it talks about how the Spirit is going to be poured out on us from on high. And because of that, going on in verse 15, the wilderness will become a fruitful field And the fruitful field will be deemed a forest. And justice will dwell in the wilderness. And righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So quiet describes the environmental conditions for the people who live under the reign of Jesus. And who live where the spirit is at work. And who's that here this morning, right? That's all of us. We live under Jesus Christ and we live in lives where the Spirit is at work. But not only is it an external condition, it's something that that then can come into us and we can have inner quiet. It can be a state within us. In Psalm 131, verse 2, I love this, this, this vision here in this psalm. The psalmist says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. I have quieted my soul Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord. So what he's saying is that as I reflect on the hope that I have in the Lord, as that comes into me, we would say as that hits home, that what God has done to bring quiet to my life, as it hits home, it brings quiet to me. Now let's just define some things here. What is it that is being quieted? what is being quieted i think what be is being quieted is the the talking the thinking the listening that we do to discover solutions or ignore or try to solve our problems without reference to god so let me say that again it's the the talking we're doing here the the talking we're getting here the the talking around our lives that we do to try to solve our problems, to try to discover solutions to our problems. So this is all of our audio books and podcasts and our books and all of our conversations trying to discover solutions to problems or, right, and this is the definition of Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus, we're trying to ignore our problems. Right, we're trying to set them aside. And doing that all without reference to the Lord. So that's what we're trying to quiet. You know, For some people, this would be experienced as worry, anxiety. And for other people, it's experienced as optimism or research and planning. Let's tackle this. Let's figure it out. Let's work through it. That's what we're trying to quiet. Now, if the goal of Isaiah 30, 15, returning and rest, is to bring us to a place of quiet... I think it's fair to say that the end of the other path, the path of self, is to bring us to a place of noise. And I think it's really interesting, a couple things here, that when, when I say, where is joy come from? Don't you all have an immediate vision of like some loud place? Like some spazzy kid's birthday party a Chuck E. Cheese or something with confetti and, and balls being thrown? Like that's, that's, when, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me, is some noisy place. Why is that? It seems like one of the objectives of the modern world, and you tell me I'm wrong here, is to see to it that none of us ever has to be quiet ever again. Right? This is, isn't this what AirPods are? Right? Or, or in ear speakers of, and in our, right? We never have to have quiet again. It's just constant, uninterrupted interruptions. We never have to be quiet ever again. Now, those of us who believe the Bible, right? We believe that there is evil behind the world's systems and policies and that the effects of these things are not unintentional. And so we need to consider now, why does evil want us to be so unquiet? Why does evil want to chase us with noise and these uninterrupted interruptions? Why is this good for evil? And we're going to answer that positively, which is, why does God want to bless us with quiet? It's kind of the same question from different standpoints. Why does evil want us to be so unquiet? Why does God want us to enjoy quiet? And the first thing is, the first great benefit of quiet is that we get to think. Do you remember thinking? Did you ever do that before? You know, God made us to be thinkers. It's sort of a distinguishing feature of human beings, to be thoughtful. Don't be conformed to this world, Paul says in Romans 12, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Somehow growth in the faith is a thoughtful process. And of course we can see everywhere that the world wants to interrupt our thought with noise and then supply us with conclusions. I'm afraid that I wonder how many of us are actually thinking our thoughts or if our thinking has been interrupted and conclusions have been supplied to us. Now I just got done saying that what is one thing that's being quieted is our thinking and now I'm saying that one of the benefits of quiet is that we can think. It's a different kind of thinking. We are trying to reclaim thinking for the Lord so that we can give Him our minds. We have to have, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. You've got to have a mind to love the Lord with. You've got to have your own thoughts. And let me just, I mean, you know all this. We've all seen the same documentaries and so forth. But let me just reiterate this. But you know that big business and big media has invested heavily in technologies and techniques that bypass our thoughtfulness all while pretending to appeal to our logic and rationality, right? It's like they're constantly saying, any thinking person knows that they're big, dumb, dumb, boo-boo heads, right? They're, they're <laughs> appealing to our logic and rationality while investing in techniques and technologies to bypass those things. What do, what do we need to do to have thoughts, just think about that for one second here. Where are, Where is their thinking in our lives? And then what should we do with those thoughts? And now we come to the second great benefit. These benefits are going to scale up and get bigger and better. The second great benefit of quiet is that we get to hear from the Lord. We get to hear from the Lord. Look back with me at Isaiah chapter 30 now. This is really the key tension in this text. It's people who are trying to solve their own problems their own way instead of listening to the Lord. So look at chapter 30, verse 1. A stubborn ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit. They, they may add sin to sin. Who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh. Look at verse 9. They are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. And now contrast that with verse 20. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. So instead of solving their own problems, now the Lord is with them, guiding them as they address the difficult things in their life. So the great benefit of getting quiet is that we get to hear the Lord. We get to hear the word of the Lord, which helps us understand what quiet actually is. Quiet is when the truth that you've wandered And the truth that you need grace hits home so that now you are willing to listen carefully to the Lord. You know, a question I have for for you this morning is, does the Lord have your attention? But that's the quiet place where everything else is shushed. As he goes on to say in verse 22, we've said to our idols, be gone. Those other things have been shushed so that the Lord has our attention. And now, here is why this is the the greatest of these benefits of being quiet. This is why it it is so important to understand that quiet helps us to hear the word of the Lord, and this leads us to the greatest of all the benefits, which is this we come alive. We come alive. Let me switch over my papers here briefly. This is such an important, such an important thing biblically. All the way back in Psalm 119, verse 25, Psalm one nineteen twenty five, 25, Psalm 119, 107, listen to this. David says, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. I am severely afflicted. Give me life according to your word. If you feel like you're in the dust, if you feel like you're afflicted, if there are areas of your life that feel that way, the way for them to be made alive is through the word of God. Jesus says this exact same thing a thousand years later when he's duking it out with Satan and Satan is telling him, Jesus, solve your own problems. You haven't eaten or drank anything for 40 days. Here, turn these rocks into bread. You take care of your problems. You just, you can do this, Jesus. You can handle it. And Jesus says what? He says, people can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's saying that all the life that we get from bread, from sandwiches, from all that we eat and drink, is nothing compared to the life that we get from the Word of God. Peter says this in John 6. He says, To Jesus and to the disciples. Jesus, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Paul says the same thing. John says the same thing. King David 3,000 years ago says it. Jesus says it about himself. Peter, Paul, and John all say it about Jesus. That the word is the thing that each one of us needs to actually live. And to live the life that God has made us to live. We're talking about life. All through Scripture, there's this idea, whether it's in the Psalms, whether it's in Jesus' teaching, whether it's in Paul's writings, that the Word of God is like a seed that gets planted in us and it produces all the good things that we wish were true of us. It all depends on the Word. And now look with me at chapter 32 of Isaiah again. Isaiah 32. I want to read you just, I just love these verses so much. So, life comes, as we already saw in verse 1, from living under the king. and verse 15, by the Spirit, until the Spirit is poured out from us. And then listen again to this description. I'm going to read the the whole thing here to the end of the chapter. Verse 16, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be peace, and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in peaceful habitations, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting places. And it will hail when the forest falls down and the city will be utterly laid low. But happy are you who sow beside all waters, who let the feet of the ox and the donkey range free. I love that last vision. Friends, God wants all your donkeys to range free. Come on. Can I get an amen? Let those donkeys go. He wants your donkeys to range free. And what I want you to understand here, here in this, is quiet helps us to think, helps us to turn our thoughts to the Word of the Lord, and then the Word of the Lord gives us life. Here's why this is so important. right? God is not inviting us to, uh, to docility or passivity. He's not calling us to some sort of emptiness. He's calling us to the the, the fertile ground from which springs hope and creativity and innovation and flourishing. Look at verse 8 here in 32 again. I just closed my Bible. There we go. Look at verse 8. He who is noble plans noble things and on noble things he stands. He who is noble plans noble things and on noble things he stands. And then verse 20 Blessed are you who sow beside all waters and let your donkeys go free. Now, I just want you to just reflect with me for a second on what does it mean for donkeys to go free? First of all, it means what are donkeys for? They're for work. So it means that you don't need it for work. You got so much that the donkey can take a day off. And what are donkeys going to do when you let them wander free? They're going to take one bite of every single apple in the orchard, right? And then leave the rest of them. They're just going to cause mayhem. And if you're worried, if you've got a sense of scarcity or a sense of fearfulness, you're not going to ever let your donkeys roam free. But if you've got so much that you don't even care, this is a picture of extraordinary flourishing. That is the result of quiet. The quiet that the Lord wants to invite us into He's talking about having so much life and friends let me just let me just share, share something with you you know the biggest problem the the bigger problem than with the noise in the world isn't just what we're hearing you know the biggest problem with the news media the biggest problem with all that we're reading or listening or getting all ourselves all wrapped up about you know that the, that's being pumped into us is not just what we're hearing, it's what we're not thinking up and we're not doing. That's the bigger problem. It's what we're not thinking up and we're not doing. You say, well, who am I? I'm nobody. I'm little of me. Listen, the book of Ecclesiastes, way back in the Old Testament, already by then, the wise man says, there's no new thing under the sun. Everything that's already happened is just going to keep on happening. We've seen it all. That was 3,000 years ago and there's no new thing under the sun. But the book of Ecclesiastes in its entirety is a setup for the hope of Israel that God would send something new under the sun. And what's the one new thing since the dawn of creation that has come under the sun? But our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is His Spirit that is in you and me. All the new things in this world are waiting for the people of God to plan noble things. The church is to be the realm of noble dreams and noble plans and noble doings. And it is the job of the pastor to serve this, to serve this being a place of, of that kind of quiet, that kind of energy and strength. The pastor is to be the one to call us to be loud about being quiet. Right? That's kind of what's happening right now. I'm trying to be loud. I don't know how loud I am actually being and Brian can't adjust this easily so I'm trying to be loud about being quiet I want to lead us in stopping that's what the sabbatical is leading us in stopping it's my job to be the chief listener in the fellowship here but the problem is that a pastor of course as we've talked about these last couple weeks is just as much a sinner just as foolish and weak As any of us, and I too live in a culture that uses noise, bombards us with noise to disrupt thought and faith. And so, it is to our benefit to periodically send the pastor into the wilderness and say, hey buddy, learn to be quiet again. Learn to listen. Learn to think. Do you remember the story in 1 Kings of Elijah? Elijah. There's this extraordinary moment where he does battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. And God sends fire from heaven. This extraordinary victory. They slaughter the prophets of Baal. It's this extraordinary high point. But in that moment, word comes to Elijah that Jezebel has promised to kill him. And that just hits him for some reason right where it hurts. And right after that high point... It says he hikes a day out into the wilderness and he sits down beside a tree and he says, God, just kill me now. I'm not doing any good. Jezebel wins. You find somebody else to deal with it. And it says that an angel of the Lord met him there and sent him on a 40-day trek deeper into the wilderness. And after that 40-day trek into the wilderness, he comes to this mountain of God. And this is what it says. It says that the Lord said to Elijah, Go and stand before the Lord. And then the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was the sound of a low whisper. The sound of what can also be translated as quiet stillness. And in that quiet Elijah meets with God. But he had to go further into the wilderness and he had to wait for the quiet. When is the last time that you considered the word of the Lord in unhurried silence. I don't know about you, but so often I feel like, God, how come you're not speaking to me? God, I want to hear from you. Isaiah 30.15 says, now hang on. I think that is related to you listening. And I think that might be related to being quiet. So I'll just talk briefly about what quietness involves for all of us. Here's what quietness involves. Stop. Again, stop solving your problems. Stop all of the talking and the thinking and the planning and and all that we're doing without reference to the Lord. You know, the problem with our problem solving is this. We are just limited. We're limited and so all of our solutions are going to have limitations that keep them from being the kind of solution that doesn't cause more problems. I'm good at those ones, you're good at those ones, but we need solutions that actually deal with the problem and it is only our maker who knows all that can provide holistic solutions to our life. We need him involved in our problem solving. What's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Some of you guys know this, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. So stop doing life without the Lord and start listening. This is the one to whom I will look, the Lord says in Isaiah 66, the one who trembles at my word remember we talked about that phrase a couple weeks ago, the one who is afraid to live without the Word of God. If that describes anybody in this world, it should describe a Bible church constituency, right? We are the ones who are afraid to live without the Word of God. I don't want to do it, God. I don't trust myself. I know my limits. I need the Word of the Lord. So let me encourage you to... Consult Scripture to listen to the Word of God to reflect on the Bible. First Peter chapter two verse two Peter says uh, to be like uh, to desire the sincere milk of the Word to be like a newborn babe who longs for that nourishment so that you can grow by doing that. To be like that hungry baby. Here's a here's a pro tip as we enter into the summer months prioritize the Sunday gathering, right? At least to come here and to submit yourself to the Word of God. We've got a a great crew of guys coming to preach through the book of 1 John for this summer. We're going to be meditating on 1 John as a church through this summer. And I'm really excited for you to hear these guys. They've been all trained by the guy who, who I look to for training now in my pastorate. So they're coming here. Let me strongly encourage you to prioritize the Sunday gathering. And let me also put a pin in this uh, the Bible study that Brian is going to be leading. I mean, what a great opportunity to meditate on one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible. Together with God's people. To make space in your life and in your mind for the Word of God. And then lastly, friends. This isn't even really like a thing to do, but let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Right? Let those noble things come out, those noble plans and those noble doings. Let the word of the Lord dwell in you richly so that you may be like that tree planted by the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that you do, you may prosper. So as we head into summer, summer, yay, time for fun, time for good times, let me just ask again, where does joy come from? Do you know? Where does joy come from? You know who knows, though? The Lord knows. Psalm 1611, You have made known to us the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, friends, let me encourage you as I close to return and rest and be saved, and to be quiet and trust the Lord that He may give you His strength. And then in that verse, you may remember, it it says, but they were unwilling. They were unwilling to stop going their own way. And so that's the question for us today. Are we willing to stop? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the the invitation that it extends to us to come to a place where we can know joy. Lord, we, we want that. We're tired of the noise of this life. We're tired of the anxiety the worry. We're tired of the false optimism that perpetually lets us down, the problem-solving that creates more problems. Lord, we, we need You in our lives. We need Your voice guiding us, saying, go to the right and go to the left. We need You to be our teacher. We're tired of our idols. We say to them, be gone. And so, Lord, would You... Would You raise up within us this longing that we, like newborn babes, who long for this life, who long for that nourishment, who long for that fruitfulness. Lord, would You give us that, that heart, that longing. Lord, we ask that You would watch over this Word today, that it would truly dwell in us richly. In Jesus' name, Amen.